You know, I always thank God for the opportunity to worship Him. Uh, many people don't have this opportunity. We are blessed to have a church, people, Bibles in our hands, chairs to sit on, coffee. Thank you, Roger. Yeah. There's much that we have that a lot of people don't have. We're very blessed. We're very blessed. And, uh, you know, I think of today and on days um, when, we, when we honor our mom and all that she's done in our life. Again, another blessing. And do we honestly stop and take time, you know, and sometimes like, oh, I forgot, I've got to go to the store and quick, get a card, or i got to make something real quick, or just, just do me a favor, just pause. Just like we will pause on Sunday morning for an hour and give praise to God, pause. And thank God for mom. Give her a call. Okay, now text message does not count. I'm saying, okay? It doesn't count. Now, I'll admit, this morning on the way here, boom, shot a text out to mom. I'm thinking she's, I don't know what she's doing right now, but I'm going to give her a call later. I always do, okay? I'll talk to her later, but I'll just shoot a text. And right away, boom, thanks. Whoa, that was quick, mom. It's like... 80, uh, 83, and she's still quick on the hands there. So, but I'm thinking that doesn't count. Okay, I'm not done for the day. Okay, later today I'll give her a call and we'll talk for a while. I want to challenge you and encourage you to pause. Give thanks. Kids, you probably did an awesome job today making a card for mom. Do a little bit more, okay? Do a few more things. Um, we thank God for opportunity to worship, and we thank God for moms. Um, but, you know, again, we say, God, thank you. Praise you for who you've placed in our life to bless us. Amen? All right, let's do this. Grab your Bibles, would you please? And uh, we're going to be in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John will probably be in all four of those books today. And I'll give you a heads up on the first one. Um, it's, and I think it's Luke 5 is the first one. We'll throw it up there. Sort of give you a heads up. Uh, it'll take a little bit till we get there. For those of you that are just joining us today for the first time or visiting, whatever it may be, we're in the last part of a series. It seems like I should be preaching about moms today or mothers or godly women, right? I'm saving that one for a couple weeks from now, okay? We're going to wrap up our series this week on our three resurrection accounts, having the right focus. We sometimes doubt derails us from where we're going in life. Sometimes we have these high expectations and that keeps us from having the right focus. And today I want to talk about uh, how we sometimes get in the wrong direction. And we forget, if once I'm in the right direction, I've got the right focus, it's going to be so much better. And what happened is, after the resurrection, there's three stories in which I look at and it's like, boy, they had the wrong focus. And they ended up going the wrong way in life. And, and a lot of times we find ourselves going the wrong direction, or the wrong expectations, or we doubt. And if we could just get the right focus, we can go in the right direction. So that's what we're going to be looking at today as we wrap up the Right Focus series here. Do you guys remember the days? Um, and I'm, you know, now kids, you can't relate to this one. So if you're my age and older, you, you're going to roll with me on this one, okay? Remember the days when, has that ever come out of your mouth, okay? Uh, you're sort of sitting around saying, remember when? You remember the days when we used to? I want you to think about that, okay? You look, we look back at life, we said life seemed to be so much easier. Now, if I were to look back to the 70s, and some of you are like, what were those, okay? For those of you who remember the 70s, okay, uh, it often seems so much simpler back then. I was in a meeting this week, and there was two people that had been serving in ministry for over 30 years. 
And, um, you know, a lot of us are sitting around talking, and they're like, oh, we've been doing this 30-plus years. See, when we would go around and visit schools, we would actually have to pull over to a payphone and call to make sure that we can show up at the school. Or, we, you know, we didn't have cell phones, and we didn't have the computers to send emails. And they were sitting there talking. I'm going, man, that was rough, you know. Um, but I was thinking back uh, to those 70s when prices, of course, were a lot lower in the 70s. And, of course, wages were a lot lower, too, sort of reflected the cost of living and what you uh, were going to pay for, right? Nevertheless, it's fun to look back at those days and sort of marvel at things. So I was looking at this. You know, the average price of a home was in the 70s, $27,000 to buy a house back in the 70s. And annual tuition, room, and board at a state university, heading off to Ashland next year, right? Okay? I don't know what you're going to pay next year, but the average university or college, you'd pay about $400 to about $1,000 to go to college a year. A year. Some of you like, that's a month right now. Maybe a week, right? First class stamp, six cents. A gallon of milk, we go through four a week at least, okay? 62 cents per gallon. A sirloin steak, $1.19 a pound. Loaf of bread, 25 cents. That's in the 70s, right? Okay. Tomato soup, a can of tomato soup, 10 cents. Some of you are shaking your heads like, I remember that. Okay. Coffee, $1.90 a pound. Yeah, oh yeah. Think of the profit you can make now. <laughs> Gas, 36 cents per gallon. 36 cents per gallon. That was before the 73 oil crisis, okay? If you were going to get a brand new car at the beginning of the 70s, you'd pay about $3,900. At the end of the 70s, you'd pay just a little over $5,000 for a brand new car. Okay? Eight, <laughs> an eight-track tape player. Somebody's like, oh, what? Exactly. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Enough said. Okay. The CB radio. Remember the CBs? Like, hey, good buddy. Ten four. You know, remember those? Okay. So you're like, what are you doing? <laughs> a CB radio was 140 bucks. Okay. A pair of Wrangler jeans. I wonder Brett Favre bought them. They were 10 bucks each back then, okay? $10. A woman's summer dress, $8. Ladies, your, your slippers, 4 bucks. Spring coat, 25 Gentlemen, your best friend, recliner chair, okay? $70. Not too bad, right? Atari game cartridges. Who had Atari game cartridges? Raise your hand. Oh, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Who needs Xbox? Okay, 20 bucks for that. Now, I was amazed when I was looking at the toys. They didn't change much, like a, a Mattel um, Hot Wheels car, 69 cents. That's not too far off from where they are now. Toys didn't change much in pricing. A remote control car was five bucks. You can find toys at a reasonable price. Why is it that everything else is so big, right? You know? Then again, the median uh, household income. This is what you brought in as, as a household income in the you know, mid-range, okay? Close to $9,000 a year. So we're like, really? Yeah. And we survived. It was amazing, right? Let me ask you this. As you sit around saying, remember when? Remember when? Let me ask you this. Have you ever really wanted to go back? Have you ever really wanted to go back? I believe that one of the disciples, when you're looking in the Bible, one of Jesus' disciples had one of those moments where he wanted to go back. His name was Peter. Everybody knows Peter, right? One of the most famous disciples. I believe Peter had one of those moments where he's like, remember when? And he wanted to go back. At least it seemed like he did. You know, fishing was his occupation. It's what he knew best. 
When he's fishing, he didn't have to worry about those angry religious leaders. He didn't have to worry about the Roman soldiers breathing down his neck. He didn't have to worry about some girl coming up and accusing him. Oh, you're a follower of Jesus, aren't you? Didn't have to worry about that if he's fishing. He didn't have to worry about large crowds pressing in on him or sleeping under the stars at night with no roof over his head because he was following Jesus somewhere. No more wondering if he's going to have food to eat because he's at home where he's got food. He'll go fishing. He'll catch something. A home, a boat, a family life. He had it all. But if you're following Jesus, you weren't sure what you're going to get. So what could be better? Why not return to it? Well, that's eventually what Peter did. A week after the resurrection, I want you to think about this. A week after the resurrection, Peter went back to fishing. Oh, it's, it's in there. We're going to get to it soon. But here's the deal. Peter, like you and I, have these battles that go on up in our minds. Okay? A bantering of what if or why not? That kind of stuff goes on in our minds, right? Well, what if this happened? Well, why not that? Why couldn't this have been? And he was probably having those conversations in his mind. He's probably thinking through, what's Jesus going to say to me after the resurrection? Okay, he's in the upper room. He's waiting for Jesus to come back around. And he's probably sitting around going, what's Jesus going to say to me? I denied him three times. I ran in the garden. I, I ran away from him. And so he's got probably this bantering going on. What, what's Jesus going to say to me? And what am I going to say to Jesus? Maybe he's going to come up to me and say, Peter, you're really not cut out for leadership. Maybe, maybe Peter's too passionate. He puts all himself into a project, into serving. He's the first one to open his mouth and insert foot, right? Maybe Jesus doesn't want that in leadership. I don't know. Maybe his emotions are too unpredictable. Never knowing what he's going to say. Maybe I'm going to say something I shouldn't say. Or I'm going to do something I shouldn't do. And I'm like, oh, sort of unpredictable, right? Maybe I shouldn't be in leadership. Maybe there's a better disciple to lead. There's always a better person to lead. You just look around the room. They, they, they could do this better than me. Maybe that's going on in Peter's mind. Maybe there's someone more qualified. Maybe I should just stick at what I'm really good at. That's fishing. I'm really good at fishing. So maybe he's got this conversation going on in his mind, right? But let me ask you this. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt that way? Feeling a little unqualified, maybe? I don't know why I'm doing this. I don't know why they called me to serve here. I'm not good with this. Or why am I leading this? Feeling like you can't do what God's put in front of you? Lead a Bible study? Me? <laughs> not qualified. Teach children? Serve in the nursery? Set up chairs? Be on the worship team? Be in charge? Be a mom? I don't know if I'm qualified for that. Well, you know, I'm not qualified for the mom part, right? Okay. But you know what I'm saying. What is it right now in your heart that you're sitting there saying, I don't know if I'm really qualified for this. I, I don't know if I can really do this. Life was so simpler when I didn't have kids, right? Anybody ever say that? Life was so much simpler when I didn't have kids. But then what did you used to say when you didn't have kids? Life was so much simpler when I wasn't married, Right? Oh, and then when you were single, what did you say? Life was so much more simpler when I was back in high school. And high schoolers, what did you say? Man, life was so simple when I was a little kid. Isn't that what we do? At every stage in our journey, we always look back and say, wasn't it more simple back then? 
You know what my favorite moment is? I was thinking about this for a while this week. If you say, think back to your childhood, what's one of your favorite moments? This is always the first thing that comes to my mind, the first thing that comes to my mind. I'm in the living room at my mom and dad's house, the farmhouse that I grew up in, and there's the big Christmas tree, a real Christmas tree. You can smell the pine, right? You can feel the stickiness of the, uh, from the pine tree, and, and it's decorated. It's, we got the big light bulbs, the big ones, the big fat ones, you know what I'm saying, okay? And we got tinsel, the kind where you always rub your feet, and you get that stick electricity, and you put it in the, in the and it comes out and touches your finger and snaps, you know what I'm saying? We have those uh, icicles all over the tree, and, and I'm laying on the ground, and I'm looking at the presents, and I'm looking at the tree, and I can smell Mom baking something in the kitchen. That's my favorite memory. You know why? Because I had no responsibilities whatsoever. No responsibilities, no meetings, nowhere to drive to, no counseling appointments, no pressures in my life. I was just this chunky little boy in front of a Christmas tree. <laughs> Smelling the chocolate chip cookies being baked. You know what I'm saying? I loved it. I loved life was simpler then. Oh. You know, after the crucifixion, I wonder if Peter was up in that upper room, sort of sitting there, Leaning forward, it's dark. They probably had the, the, the windows closed up. They're in hiding still. And Jesus had appeared to him a couple times. And now they're waiting. And he's wondering, is Jesus going to do as he promised? Is, is he going to come back in those moments? And oh, I remember when I, I wonder if he's sitting there going, I wonder if he sat there and thought, I remember when I first met Jesus. Life was so much more simple then. Life is so much more simple than You have to remember that Peter first met Jesus because of his brother Andrew. Andrew's like, hey, brother, come here. You've got to meet this guy. I think he's the Messiah. So he traveled to Jerusalem to celebrate one of Israel's feasts, and he followed his brother to outside the city and met this man that would change him forever, and his name was Jesus Christ. It was a really incredible incident, okay? Jesus greeted Peter probably with that customary embrace, gives him a hug, kisses him on the cheek on both sides, okay? Looks at Peter, and he firmly says this, Simon, son of Jonah, I think I'll call you Cephas, which in Greek is Peter, okay? You're solid as a rock when I look at you. That was the first initial greeting, can you just imagine what like Peter's probably thinking, who, who is this guy? How does he know me? And he not just sees me as I am, but he sees me who I'm going to become. What an incredible moment that would have been. And Peter took it as a compliment because this, this, is, the, this is Jerusalem's newest and most dynamic rabbi around. I mean, his name is circulating big time. So he's, he's big stuff, and he's greeting me like this. So he, he spent a few days with Jesus, and he agreed with, with Andrew's assessment, and that was, we found the Messiah. And Peter's like, yep, that, no doubt about it. This has got to be him, right? Now, he would have stayed, but if you find in scriptures, Peter didn't stay with Jesus that whole time. What he did was, Peter's like, I got to get back to the fishing business because I'm a fisherman. And being a fisherman, I need to get back and make sure everything's going well at home with the family business. So, grabbed his stuff and went back home. A few weeks later, Peter and his crew, they're, they're having a hard night's work because they're not getting anything in their nets. So they pull up their nets early in the morning hours and they decide to come back in and they get back in uh, to shore. They're cleaning up their nets. As they clean up their nets, they, they notice there's a large crowd of people on the side of the hill. Now, this is normal, okay? 
Because a lot of times when the rabbis and the teachers were speaking, what they would do is people would sit along the side of a hill and you could talk to them. So it was nothing abnormal. This was something always happening. So they pull in their boats and he recognizes the voice. That sounds like a familiar voice. I know I've heard that voice before. They're cleaning their nets and working hard, but suddenly they realize, I don't hear him talking anymore. And suddenly he hears a voice right next to him saying, Peter, can we, um, can we get in your boat? And I go out into the water and speak. The voice was no longer on the side of the hill. The voice was next to him. Well, he let Jesus get in the boat with him because it's a brilliant idea because if you know anything about acoustics and sound, if you're in water, the water carries your voice even better. It's like a modern-day microphone. See, when we do our outdoor uh, baptismal service at, at the Guy's house, it would be awesome to be on the boat and me preach from there, okay? You'd be able to hear me just like a modern-day microphone, but you all know my problem. I'd probably fall in, right? Okay? So we didn't do that. But here's Jesus. He's got balance. He created balance. He's in the boat preaching away now. And uh, he gets done wrapping it up. And then Jesus looks at Peter and the fisherman and says, Hey, how about we go and go fishing? Can you imagine Peter sort of rolling his eyes and looking at Jesus like, We've done that all night. We've caught nothing. Nothing. And uh, Jesus said, let's, let's try this. Let's look at now. Luke chapter 5, verse 4. Let's read this. Luke chapter 5, verse 4. When he finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now go out where it's deeper. Let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, We worked hard all last night, didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this time their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat. And soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. But when Simon Peter realized what happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please leave me. I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. And Jesus replied to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything, and they followed Jesus. What an incredible moment that would have been. You're in your boat, and your boat almost sinks because you have too much fish. Isn't that incredible? I mean, they're, just, they're all over flopping. And suddenly, the disciples realize he's the Messiah. And they drop to their knees, and a worship service begins. What an incredible thing. The first of many lessons, right? From that moment on, Peter followed Jesus. He didn't know where Jesus was going. Jesus didn't say, okay, here's my list. Here's what we're going to do for the day. Here's our agenda. Here's my five-year plan, my three-year plan, my one-year plan, all this kind of stuff. He didn't have that. He said, follow me. I'm going to make you fishers of men. And he followed him. And he journeyed with him. He didn't know what adventures were going to follow. He didn't know what dangers were going to be coming his way. He didn't know what joys were going to be celebrated. All he knew was, he's worthy to follow. And I'm going to follow him. His friends, maybe family, and neighbors probably thought, what? How foolish can this guy be? He's got a family fishing business. He's a good fisherman. And he's going to follow this rabbi around, this teacher around? He's going to leave the family business to who? Who's going to take care of this? That's how it all sort of started with Peter. Do you think Peter, while he's in the upper room, thought back to that moment? Man, that's where it all began. I wonder if he thought back, he said this too. I remember when, turn with me to Matthew chapter 14. Here's another moment. I bet this, this is a moment that Peter's probably thinking back to. 
Matthew chapter 14, verse 24. Starting in verse 24, we, we read this. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land. A strong wind had risen. They were fighting many waves. They're in their boat, okay? And at 3 o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. Remember this story? This is a great story. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, It's a ghost, right? But Jesus spoke to them once. He said, Don't be afraid. Take courage. I'm here. Then Peter calls him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat, and he started walking on the water toward Jesus. But when he saw the strong winds and the waves, he was terrified. He began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. And Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, he said. Why, why did you doubt me? Verse 32, they climbed back in the boat. The wind stopped. The disciples worshipped him. You really are the Son of God. Now I want you to think about Peter, okay? He's a strong swimmer. He has to be. He's a fisherman. He's in the water all the time. So here's this strong swimmer, this big fisherman, stepping over the edge of the boat, walking on the water. But in a split second, he began to sink. And why is that? We know why, because why his mind is focused, left off of Jesus as the waves splash and hit his feet. And he's looking around and he's seeing everything. Next thing you know, he's up to his neck in water. He's going down, right? And Jesus saves him. And he gets into the boat, and what happens again? Another worship service. Another opportunity to worship Jesus for who he is. Now let me ask you something. Do you think from that point on, the disciples, the other disciples, give him a hard time about that moment? Do you think maybe they're sitting around a campfire some night? Hey, Peter, hey, Peter, Peter, who am I? Ooh, ooh, I'm Jordan, I'm Jordan, yeah. And they're like... He's like, stop it, you know. Could you just sort of see them goofing around, you know, and eventually they, they look back at those moments and say, hey, do you remember when Jesus did this? Hey, and I'm sure they did. Remember when? Then there was a time when Peter was really standing tall, okay? And I wonder if, as Peter's in the upper room, waiting for Jesus to come back and talk to him, if he did this. I remember when, turn with me now to Matthew 16. And this is the moment, maybe, maybe he remembered. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just throwing these out, okay? You're like, where did you get this at? Is this in the book of Acts? There was a time when Peter was standing tall. He's feeling really good about himself. And the next moment, Jesus was sort of putting him in his place. Okay, so in Matthew chapter 16, verse 13, we read this. Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, and he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Some say he's a great prophet. Jeremiah, maybe. But then Jesus said, who do you say I am? Simon Peter said, well, you're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Now listen to the reply of Jesus. Jesus said, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. Did you get that? You didn't learn this from any human being. God told you. Man, way to go, Peter. Now I say to you, Peter, which means rock, Upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. I'll give you the, kings, uh, the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. Whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Wow, Peter's head must have just went, right? He's like, oh, yeah, God told me who you are, and, and I'm rock. And upon this rock you'll build your church. Can you just imagine Peter's like, yeah. Chest sort of sticks out, shoulders back. 
That's right. I'm rock. I'm Peter, you know. And it must have felt good, right? Pretty committed. He nailed who Jesus was. I mean, he's close to God, a lofty place. Honor is given to Peter. I'm sure he's just sort of swollen, right? Okay, but look at the next verse, 21. From then on, though, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly, it's necessary for him to go to Jerusalem, that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders and the leading priests and the teachers of the religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day he would raise from the dead. So he's telling his disciples now, hey, guys, I want to let you know it's going down. I'm going down, but I'm going to come back. I'm wondering if Peter, feeling like the rock of the group, was like, Jesus, hey, 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 you are the Messiah. These are your followers. That's not the way to address them. You want to lift them up. Don't be telling them you're going to be dying. That's not the way to address us, right? Look at verse 22. Peter took Jesus aside, listen, and began to reprimand Jesus. Do you see that? By saying this, heaven forbid, Lord, this will never happen. Check out what happens next. Jesus turns to Peter and says this, get away from me, Satan. You're a dangerous trap to me. You're seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you want to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways. Take up your cross, follow me. You're trying to hang on to your life, you're going to lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. From seconds, Peter went from rock to Satan in a couple seconds. Did you see that? You're my rock. I'll build my church on. Get away from me, Satan. Can you imagine how in that moment, Peter's like, I had such a great feeling about being a leader for Jesus Christ, and then the next minute, I felt like the lowest leader ever. What a roller coaster ride. He learned the truth about leadership in God's kingdom. And let's fast forward two hours before the arrest of Jesus, okay? Turn in your Bibles now to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. Matthew, Mark, Luke, third book in the New Testament. Luke chapter 22. Jesus is talking here and he says this, Simon, Simon, again talking to Peter, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. <laughs> Satan wants you, Peter. Jesus goes on to say, but I pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you've repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said, Lord, I'm ready to go to prison with you. I'm ready to die with you. Where you're going to go, I'll go. But Jesus said, Peter, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you'll deny me three times that you ever knew me. Oh, I'm not going to do that, right? I'm wondering if Peter was thinking about that moment when he was in the upper room. Do you think when he's sitting there, all these, do you remember when? Remember when I first met Jesus? Remember when he talked to my boat and he got all that fish? Remember the storm when I was sinking and he lifted me up? Remember that moment when I was feeling really good and then he brought me back down to earth and Remember that time I said I would never deny you, and I did. It's been a very different three years for Peter. Most likely his mind and his thoughts were so tough on himself. He probably felt really guilty. He probably felt like he let Jesus down. He's a failure to the cause. So he said, I'm going to go back to the former things. I'm going to go back to fishing, the way it used to be. 
Been there? How many of us in this room today have said, I'm going to live for Jesus. I'm so committed to Him. And then we do something like, you know what, it would just be so much easier if I didn't try to live on fire for Him. I remember when I said I was going to do this, I had a responsibility, I was going to teach something, I was going to be in charge of something, but then as you're in charge of it, all of a sudden you're like, this is tough, and I feel like a failure. I feel like this program's dwindling, and it's my fault, and it'd be so much easier if I was not even doing this anymore. Somebody else can teach, somebody else can lead. So I'm not going to do it anymore, because it'd be so much easier if it was the way life used to be. I think we've all been there. I think we can honestly make an assessment this morning and say, be so much easier. Moms, how many times have you said that? Life is so much easier when, and you're thinking, you hear your mom or your grandmother say, oh, it gets easier as you get older. Just wait till your kids get to this age. It'll get easier. And they get to that age, and what are you like? You're like, it's not easier. It's harder, Right? Life would have been so much easier if. So this is what Peter did. He went back. I'm not doing this anymore. I'm going back to Beth said I. And he did. Grabbed his friends, his boats, went fishing like the good old days. They were in familiar territory again. They went to their favorite fishing hole. Let's find it, guys. Remember where we used to fish? Let's get our boats out. Let's get the nets out. Back on the shore, they saw a glowing light, though. Look at with me now. Last passage here today, John chapter 21. Turn with there, please. John chapter 21. In John chapter 21, we find this last resurrection account. As they're out in their boats fishing, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Look at verse 2 of chapter 21. Several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin. Not doubting. Right? Uh, Nathaniel from Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and, uh, 12 other, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too. They all said, we went on a boat. They caught nothing all night. At dawn, the disciples saw Jesus standing on the beach, but they couldn't see who he was. So you can imagine they're out in their boats and off about 100 yards to the shore is a glimmering light. It looks like somebody's standing there. And then this voice calls out. Now, in your translation, it may say, friends, have you caught any fish? But if you go back to the Greek, it says, children, have you caught any fish? Now, you can imagine, you're a grown man on the boat, okay? And you're fishing. And some guy on, you can't even see who it is, about 100 yards away. It's dawn, okay? And they call it, hey, kids, children, have you caught any fish? Now, for us today in this culture, we'd be sitting there thinking, like, you call me a kid. I haven't caught anything all night, and so you're probably frustrated already, and then somebody calls you a boy. Hey, boy. Hey, kid. But what we don't understand back in that culture was, is that actually, if somebody called out, you said, hey, children, what they're doing is, that's probably a rabbi or an elder of the community who's probably taught you at one point in time. So really, it's sort of a respectful thing, and so they probably respectfully, but probably frustrated, right? Reply back, no, loud enough that he could hear, right? Let's read on. He said this, throw your net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll get plenty of fish. Now, can you imagine him sitting there going, are you kidding me? We're doing this all night. <sighs> they throw the nets over. 
they can't pull the net up at first. It must be snagged on something. It's not, we can't get this net out. And all of a sudden, as they go to lift, there's so many fish in those nets that it's about ready to sink their boats again. Do you think at that moment Peter's going, remember when? It was at that moment, verse 7, the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, okay, because they had basically taken that for while he's working. He puts it on, which sort of doesn't make sense, because then he jumps in the water and swims to shore, a hundred yards out, flying in as quick as he can. What an incredible moment. Verse 9, when he got there, they found breakfast waiting for him, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Bring some of the fish you caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went ahead, dragged the net to the shore. There were 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. Miracle. Hmm. Can you imagine that special time around the campfire now? They're eating fish with Jesus. Peter's drying off. What a special moment, right? A little comfortable. At that point in time, Jesus looks at Simon Peter and says, Peter, do you love me more than these? And the word used was love was agape, okay? Greek word, deliberate kind of love that loves God first, neighbor as herself, loves your enemy, loves friends alike, it forgives faults, it finds its highest expression in uh, deserving that love, and it grows out of commitment. That's the word Jesus used for love, okay? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. And feed my lambs, Jesus said. Then Jesus repeated the question again. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. But listen, this time the word is phileo. It's a different word for love, which is an affectionate love, a brotherly love, like it's in Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, right? It's a heartfelt affection. It's a favorite word that was used a lot, but not carelessly or lightly, okay? Jesus says, and take care of my sheep. Then a third time he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He uses agape. He goes back to agape again, that commitment love. Listen to this. Peter was hurt that Jesus was asked a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And he uses the word phileo. He uses the affectionate love. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were young, you were able to do what you liked. You dressed yourself. You went wherever you wanted to go. But when you're old, you stretch out your hand. Others dress you and take you where you don't want to go. And basically, Jesus was telling him how he was going to die. Okay? Look at verse 20. Peter turned around and saw behind him the disciple Jesus loved. It was John, okay? the one who leaned over to Jesus during the supper and said, Lord, what about him? Here's the deal. When we take our eyes off Jesus, things don't work right. right? Peter learned that, took his eyes off Jesus, he sank. Right? Now he takes his eyes off Jesus again and compares himself to John. But what about him, Jesus? about him? Jesus, uh, let me see your eyes, okay? You and I are having this conversation now. I'm not worried about him right now. I want to know, are you going to follow me? I'm not asking you if the person next to you is going to follow Jesus this morning. I'm asking you, are you going to follow Jesus? After all that, Peter had gone through the journey with Jesus, changed time, he flashes back and says, life is easier when, right? But now he's in the presence of Jesus, and here's what he learns. God has a plan for me now. Let's stop focusing back on when life was easier or when it was this way. Let me tell you something. God's got a plan for each and every one of you now, regardless of your past. And it's a unique plan. You know why? Because your plan that God has for you is only for you. 
Nobody else. I'm not going to do a head count now and tell you how many people are in this room, but I'm going to tell you, however many heads are in this room right now, that's how many plans God has in this room. Chuck Swindoll said this, the danger is real, but there is no safer place on earth than the path to which God has ordained for you. The place of greatest satisfaction is being in the nucleus of His will. Having the right focus on God's plan means let's get back in that right direction. Let's doubt. Doubt derails us, right? Wrong expectations takes us in a place we shouldn't go. And us going in the wrong direction, remembering when, going back to the past, doesn't help either. Just say, I want to put you on the right path. Stop thinking about remember when. Right now, I have a plan for you today to do something that you haven't maybe thought about, or maybe you have, but you didn't think you were qualified because you thought you were a failure. I'm telling you, you might think you're a failure at your job right now, but I've got a plan for you right now where you're at. I'm going to do something um, real quick here. I'm going to need uh, a, a young boy or girl to help me out with this. They're always right there in the front. Let's do this. We're going to come up on stage here. Oh, let's go this way. Because I want, I want to show everybody something really different, okay? So you can see this paper. There's north, south, east, west, on with a little arrow, okay? I want you to stand right up here. And stand back here on this. What I want you to do is you're going to stand underneath it and you're going to take this nut right here, okay? And I want you to hold your hand out. And if you want to, you can sort of see where I'm looking right down over it, okay? And I want you to hold about this far right there, okay? Go for it. You got it? Can you just let it dangle right over the black dot right in the middle? Now, what I want you to do is, good. Uh, now, don't move your hand. I want you to just envision. I want you to focus. I want you to just sort of see that, that nut go to the end and to the S. Just, just see it happen. Don't move your hand, but just see it go to N and to the S. The N and the S. Yep, and just see it in your mind. Look at that. N, S. Awesome. Now, let's see it. Let's see it go. Envision going to the W to the E. The W to the E. Just sort of see it happen. There it is. See it happening? Oh, a little movement. Can you get swinging bigger? Just think of it going back and forth. W, E, W, E. Good. Okay. Let's step aside. Come on up here. Here's the other hand that was coming up. Okay. We're gonna have you do the same thing. You're gonna hold it right over top. <laughs> you had to make a move. Okay. So you're gonna hold it. That's right. My hands are cold right there, with one hand out. Okay, now I want you to envision it. I want you to see that nut going from the W to the E. The w to the E. W to the E. See it going back and forth? Look at that. See it going back and forth? Do you envision it? Awesome. Now I want you to sort of see it come to a stop. I want you to see it come to a stop. Okay, now I want you to see it go to the N to the S. North to the South. Look at that. North to the South. That's moving big. Nice. Now let's see it come to a stop. Excellent. Nice. You guys did an awesome job. You guys have like Jedi powers. You know that? You have like the, the forces strong with you. I see it. It's just going back and forth. Okay? Now here's the thing. Now I want, what I want them all to see is in our minds, our minds are crazy. That's why God says it start, renewal starts up here with our minds, right? And our hearts and our minds are transformed, right? Okay, so when I had you guys focusing, I wanted you to focus on the letters. 
and I wanted you to see it going to N, the S, N, and S, right? And I said, I wanted to see it stop. And then I said, I want you to see it going to E to the W, E to the W, right? That's all I wanted you to do, right? To make it move, okay? The force is strong with me, okay? But here's the deal. I was so, and, and Roger definitely was, okay, so focused on the nuts and the paper, what you didn't realize, because you're thinking this through, look at that, look at that, look at that. What you didn't realize was that the rest of your body was moving. It was, wasn't it? Your hand started moving. You didn't realize your hand was moving. It wasn't like this, okay? But your body was moving. All your focus was here and there, right? But then your body went into motion. You didn't even realize that. That was pretty cool, wasn't it? Okay, you guys can have a seat. Go for it. Here's the thing that I wanted you to see with that, okay? And that is, it was like, it was, no, it was not a magic trip. All it was is sometimes we are so focused on something that our direction moves there, we don't even realize it. So how important is that our focus is on God and the plans that he has for you? Because when your focus is on him and the plans that he has for you, your life is going to move in a direction you've never seen before. Let's wrap this up. Three quick points. And worship team, why don't you come on up here while I'm giving these three points, okay? Here's the first thing I want you to hear as they're coming forward, and that is this. When God offers you an opportunity to transform from fruitlessness to fruitfulness, be open for change. Be open for change. I know there are times when I've said, check your circumstances around you to see if God's revealing something to you. But listen to me. Circumstances do not dictate God's will for you. Be careful on this one. The circumstances that are, you know, sometimes we interpret circumstances instead of interpreting God's word. We interpret circumstances for direction. Be careful of that. Listen, even after giving Peter one of the most miraculous catches ever, one of the biggest catches ever, was that God's calling him to be a fisherman? No. I'm going to make you fisher of men. Jesus just blessed him with the biggest fishing miracle ever. But that wasn't to make him a fisherman. Be careful that we don't interpret circumstances around us, saying, well, this is what God wants me to do with my life. George Barna wrote this in his book, Think Like Jesus. He says, 9% of evangelical born-again believers have a biblical worldview, 9%. He said, the other 91% of us make decisions based on a more relative standards. In other words, we decide things relative to circumstances. Instead of saying, is this God's will for my life? We say, well, look what's happening around me. It must be God's will for my life. Are you following me on this one? So here's what you do as you get into Scripture. God, transform my mind. Help me to understand what you want me to do. What is your plan for my life? Let me focus on your word and let your word direct me to where I'm to go. Here's the second thing. When Jesus plans to move you in a new and challenging direction, expect a period of soul searching. Before Peter started to become a fisher of men, he was a couple weeks where he didn't do anything but say, what do you want me to do, God? Jesus, where do you want me to go? And he probably remembered back and thought back to those soul searching moments. Think about this. Peter's call as Jesus, he just denied Jesus three times and Jesus said, do you love me three times? That was probably going on in his mind. I'm not worthy to, to follow Jesus. And look at all the fish I just caught. There's a lot of soul searching going on. And Jesus said, that's why I'm calling you right now to be a fisher of men. See, when you love, he asks you, do you love me, agape? Are you committed to me? See, if you're committed to me, you will follow me. If you're committed to me, love me, you will go where I'm asking you to go. Finally, when the Lord makes it clear for you to follow in a new direction, focus fully on him and refuse to be distracted by comparison with others. That's our big one for us. If we're going to move in the right direction, we've got to stop comparing ourselves to everybody else around us. 
Well, look what they're doing. Well, look what they're not doing. Well, look what they're doing. No, 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 no. Jesus is talking to you. Are you ready to follow him? Are you ready to focus on him? Would you please stand with me? Let me ask you this. You come here this morning and we're here, you know, celebrate Mother's Day. We're here, though, more importantly, to worship our Lord and God. And I don't know about you, but have you, again, as you sat here and we talked about the 70s to begin with, have you ever longed for those days when life was easier? You long for that. You know, the resurrection account reminds us that God has a plan for us right here, right now. He's got a plan for you. And sometimes trying to figure out that plan is tough, right? But you won't figure it out without a little bit of soul searching. Without allowing God to transform your mind through Scripture. And then as He's transforming your mind and as you're doing that soul searching, don't compare yourself to other people around you. Realize He's got a big plan for you. That big plan for you, in your mind it might be, I wish it wasn't. It would be so much easier. You know what? That might be part of God's plan for you right here, right now. Having the right focus to move in the right direction means realizing some changes are going to happen. Searching is going to happen. Distractions are going to occur. Okay, but in all that, place your trust in Him today. So let me ask you this. If Jesus were to come in here and close the service today, and He came up here and He said this, Do you love me? What would your answer be? We're talking about agape love. Are you committed to Him in this process of going in the right direction? And have the right focus. How will you answer that? We're going to pray and sing, and as we sing, you answer that to Him. Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this time we've been just searching through your Scripture. Lord, we went through a lot of verses today. Went through a lot of Scripture today. And as we did, Lord, we just looked through the whole count, maybe what Peter remembered. But when it came to the end, Peter wanted to go back, but you didn't want him to go back. You wanted him to go forward in life. So you spent that time with him. And those key questions was, do you love me? Are you committed to me? God, I pray that we are as a church, first in our lives with you and our commitment to you and how we live for you, but then how we serve you. So God, as we answer that question, as you place on our heart right now, do you love me? Help us to honestly answer that. Lord, we want to sing to you now and worship you in song. May our voices be an offering to you. In the name we pray, amen.